21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Now I am what you would call like conventionally successful, but in the beginning, I started with a company in college and failed with that pretty substantially. I bet my entire life savings on that company and, and watched it fail. which pushed me to my next company. And then I was able to scale that, but still was able to not break through to the scale that I wanted to. And then I pushed my entire life savings again into this third company that I started and bet on everything and, and was hoping that I wouldn't um, lose my entire life savings to this bet, then I was able to successfully exit that company. Yeah. But in order to do that, I had to realize and figure out how to make these small gambles along the way so that I wasn't betting the farm on, on every single thing. For me, there was no um, other option with it. I didn't get any job opportunities when I graduated college. And so it was really either, do you want to continue being a valet or do you want to actually try to build something by yourself? Which inadvertently helped me to jump in front of everybody because now I have the resume of someone who's built a bunch of different companies uh, rather than just go right into a job from college. Um, it, it's been a way to basically leapfrog my career now. When you say no other options involved at that particular moment in your life when you are in front of that wall what was the feeling what was your cognitive process what was your emotional process and how did you cope with it yeah um to be honest with you it was super stressful but also like some of the most fun times in my life because i basically had nothing and so um i got to i got to test a bunch of stuff and through that, I think what was able to keep me mentally stable and alert was I developed a, a deep love for running and would just, you know, during that that second company, I remember just going on 12, 15 mile runs sometimes just to clear my mind and, and get get my head off of the 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 day-to-day -day of it all. But um it really was a, an incredible time in my life because I didn't have any obligations that you would conventionally have. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have, you know, a girlfriend. I didn't have any of these things that are tying me down. So I was able to make pretty insane gambles in the beginning without any, uh, any real recourse for like, all right, if it fails, then we're just, there's, there's no lower a point that we can go from here. So we can just keep, uh, 
making these insane gambles. So nothing versus, let's say, abundance, or or I cannot say everything, but now you have much more than then. Is there anything that that you took from that period of time? So, for example, I suppose you were feeling alive, very alive during that period of time. Do you still feel alive? So what's your level of, of consciousness? Yeah, I think one of the biggest takeaways was there's during that time period, I wasn't really good at regulating emotions. So it would be super high highs and super low lows. And now I would say I don't have those spikes anymore. I'm more unbiased and less emotionally attached, but the bar itself is higher overall. And so the bar in the beginning was a lot lower, but you'd have a ton of big spikes, smaller spikes. But now I've raised my bar considerably, but I just don't have a bunch of emotional instability now where basically every day it's just we're level, um, which allows me to deal with pretty large, considerable bets where we're betting a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars on projects and it's just like okay do i have the stomach for this and can i pitch this to my boss and, and all of these things with that new level of emotional maturity how do you make decisions so before it was more emotional i suppose and what what about now yeah i think it was at the beginning it was more reactive and so it would be like i found a really cool idea i want to implement it super quick um now i'm still trying to battle with that i i think uh i think a lot of it is like i move so fast that i still want to do those things, but being able to also branch and then do a 10,000 foot view of the entire situation is really helpful. And I basically do that at the end of the week. So I put everything throughout the week into the week in notes, and then it's all categorized within that week. And then I review everything at the end of that week. And then I also do an entire um, month recap of what has happened with the whole month. And then that really lets you build momentum and see what's going on um, from a pretty unbiased standpoint and unbiased in the day-to-day -day excitement of it or non-day-to-day -day excitement. So if it's been a bad day, then you're kind of removed from that a couple of weeks. But if it's been an amazing day, you're also still removed from that emotionally. What was your sweetest dream and worst nightmare back then? And what about now? Gosh, sweetest dream back then. Honestly, it was just to get some notoriety with the company and, and just to be recognized for a couple of things. Biggest nightmare was basically... To survive. <laughs> yeah, it was actually to yeah, survive. To like, survive. There would be a couple months where I would be like, I made rent and I squeaked by and I had, and like quite literally, I was having oatmeal with peanut butter for protein for like, those were the meals for like two to three weeks on end, just because it was cheap protein and oatmeal would sustain me and, and keep me a little bit filled up. 
but like there were there were a couple months where I was squeaking by, squeaking by dangerously. Um, but we're still here. But you were pretty grounded. What's the background? Were you in sports, or is it because of your parents, or? I really don't know. I don't know what it was. I mean, I did a ton of reading in college. I did this. I did this thing my senior year of college where I basically punted all of the textbooks that were required for us. So it'd be like three, four hundred dollar textbooks for a class, and we'd have five classes a semester. So ten total classes for the year times three hundred. You're looking at like three grand for total textbooks. And I was like, I don't want to buy any of those. And I just bought like entrepreneur biographies, books. I bought like Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. And I read all of these different books. And there was just some comfort in the fact that other people have done this. So like, why can't I? Um, and if it all goes to zero, like it's not the end of the day. I'll still have another opportunity to try something else. And what about now? What are your sweetest dreams now and worst nightmares? Yeah, it's weird. I think my my sweetest dream now is scaling. Zenlytic, I really want to be in charge of like very aggressive scale, um, and I think I think I've figured out a way to do that within our marketing. And then, yeah, scariest nightmare. I mean, it probably relates to my my personal life. Like, I have a wonderful partner now who is just so supportive and accepting, and so that would be probably my biggest fear is no longer business related. It's with her if something bad happened to her. Because uh, she's like my foundation system, so like, also another addition to my emotional stability. For the non-techie, Zenlytic seems to focus to focus on uh, making data analysis accessible even for non non tech users uh, how have you achieved this especially in a world where most business intelligence tools seem to be tailored for those with a deep understanding of sql etc yeah exactly so that that was kind of the theory going into this is you don't you don't have to be that person to understand your data and so we basically just did, uh, we turned it into, what if you could chat GPT your, your company's data? So like, what if you could just talk directly to your company's data in a conversational manner and be like, hey, what's up? What was our revenue for last month? Okay, here's your revenue. Cool, can you drill that down by product type? Okay, sweet. How much of that was involved with uh, inside of Facebook? Okay, that's great. Could you also break out each of the campaign structures inside of Facebook? Awesome. And so now you're having a full conversation. Um, and that's with Zoe. So she is our she is our version of ChatGPT, but we built her and she is she's incredible to work with. Um, but that makes it so that you don't have to learn SQL or learn any coding or be 
a super data person to understand your business data. How did the concept for Zoe uh, come about and, and how is it making a difference for businesses today? So Zoe, the concept for Zoe came about initially it is one of the, uh, the name is after one of the uh, Sesame Street people because both of our founders' kids love Sesame Street. And so they wanted to name it after that as a little homage to them. Um, and then Zoe is basically allowing you to get all of your time back during the day because what it does is it re it removes all of the manual uh, the manual stuff you have to do with your data, like manual spreadsheets, Excel analysis, um, manual data pools, you can just talk to her. Um, so that really opens up and you're saving usually 90% of your time on that type of stuff where it just automatically goes into the chat instead of you having to spend an additional 30 hours a week trying to build out these manual data models. And is it based uh, on GPT engine or some other engine? Yeah, so it's a combination of our engine with the GPT engine. We switched from 4 to 3.5. And then it, there's a little thing that's a little bit nerdy, but we can get into it too. But it's called the semantic layer. And so what you have with ChatGPT 3.5 and 4 is large language model hallucinations. So they'll provide you incorrect information a lot of times. So we've made this thing, which is basically guardrails for that, so that your answer is always 100% correct. Uh, so it's it's basically leveraging ChatGPT large language models. And then you have this thing called the semantic layer. So you're leveraging the speed of the large language model. And then you have this thing called the semantic layer, which allows 100% accurate data and then you combine it together and then you have Zenlytic. Tell us more about your team. You started speaking about Sesame Street and what's your company culture? Yeah, the company culture is um, basically one side of the team is super product focused, really, really smart. You have Paul, who is our CTO, absolute genius, who's built the semantic layer by himself. He basically locked himself inside of a room for a month and then just didn't come out and built a semantic layer. Um, a lot of Red Bull was involved with that, but he uh, he came out. And then you have Ryan, who's the flip side of that, who is just an absolute machine, crazy good leader. He's our CEO. Um, both of these guys graduated Harvard and they were in class together. And then they have kind of come together to basically birth Zenlytic. Um, and now you have, you know, a couple people underneath of it. We're a team of about 10 right now. So we're still a really small company, but it's really good in the sense that you don't have 50 or 100 people in a company. You know what everyone's doing. You you feel that there's still a camaraderie there. Um, you celebrate the wins a ton. And I, I always try to, uh, every morning, even though sometimes it goes on deaf ears, I'll try to push as many wins that we've had for the previous day to the whole channel so that everyone can kind of get fired up and be like, hey guys, just to let you know, 
like this person came in, we had somebody do this with our form, we had XYZ, like this is super awesome. All right, I'll see you guys later. And I try to do that every morning, even though, you know, sometimes they don't get as many responses as as others, but you just kind of keep the momentum up and, and keep the energy up. So sometimes you put that even on LinkedIn. You have to. You have to. Yeah. I'll put I put stuff on like that on LinkedIn and I'll put stuff on Twitter where I'll just be like, yep, go to market at an insane month, like super excited. We crushed it. We had some great stuff come in. We had a really great update today from one of our um, one of our go to market strategies. So I dumped that in there and I was like, this is awesome, guys. Like, let's get fired up. So trying my best to keep uh, momentum up, but it's still pretty hard. I'm really interested into into your uh, your organizational structure, or better to say, uh, project management. It's very specific organization. Do you have any project management like agile or something like that? I mean, you need to be very creative, but at the same time, you need to have those small boxes and everyday checklists. Yeah. Um... My entire project management is actually built inside of Notion. And then um, you will be shocked to hear this, but I don't have any full-time employees underneath of me in the marketing side of things. I have basically 15 different contractors and freelancers from all over the world that operate under that silo, which is marketing. Um, and they all just correspond inside of Notion or Slack. And we just keep tabs, boom, boom, boom. Um, it's really helpful. And I think people don't have the patience and it's, it's hurting their business so much. They don't have the patience to deal with contractors because the, of a language barrier and they don't have the patience to deal with that language barrier. Like we got a guy who basically I took a gamble on him. He's in, uh, an Eastern part of Europe and he builds out, um, web flow landing pages and home pages and stuff like that. He is a machine. He is an absolute beast. And he operates on opposite time zones of us. So I'll give him updates. Then I'll go to bed and all the updates are done by the time that I wake up because he's already gone to work. And so there's this flywheel where you're just like constantly moving. And I was like, this is so good. Like this guy's an absolute machine. Um, yeah, I just think that's that's, and not a lot of people are operating that way. And I'm not sure why. You're building completely new new system and you're different personas. Ten of you, it's, it's not so small team anymore. So how do you communicate uh, between each other? How do you process uh, your data? Yeah, so uh, funny enough, we use Zenlytic for Zenlytic, which is really great for building reports. Um, which is absolutely wild because then we can we can kind of use it as a case study to showcase like it's actually successful. It's very weird in a meta way. Um, so we use Zenlytic and then we also have uh, we also have Slack and then we also have Notion. And so all of these ways to communicate. And then I'm a huge fan of Figma. Um, 
Figma is so beautiful for creating assets, for creating landing pages, home pages, and ads. Um, just because of the accessibility and everyone can jump into the document, make comments and, and all the above. So basically those are, I think those are our three top tools for communication would be Slack, Notion, Figma, and then maybe, I would maybe throw in Miro on top of there, but that's personally for me to keep the org structure itself um, organized and looking at everything from a 10,000 foot view. I basically build out the org structure inside of Miro and uh, it's so helpful. It's so awesome too. It's, it, it's really incredible. One of the biggest success stories we've had, there's probably two that come to mind, is we have a company on the site called Lola, and they basically start 80% of their data requests with Zoe. And so now they've changed from all of this manual reporting, manual spreadsheets, manual analysis, and 80% of the stuff starts exactly with Zoe. And Zoe will now build out dashboards for them. Another one would be Koyo, which is a uh, probably our, our very first client. They're a luxury Italian shoes company. And they saved, I think, 30 hours a week on just dashboard reporting. Again, where you're you're having to put together these dashboards manually in Excel or or pulling dashboards from from your data warehouse, which takes forever. And they've saved probably 30 hours a week on it. So two really awesome uh, customers that we've had. We want to empower people that are not data users to be able to use their data and like massive amounts of data. And it's always been kind of hidden away with data people, specifically data analysts. And it's like, what if we give the power to the entire organization and they can use it? Um, that's the big thing. It's like self-serve analytics. Like you don't need another person to help you with this report. You can just do this on your own. And you can use it with Zoe. Zoe, Zoe's your best friend. She can be a, the data analyst for you. If you wanted to learn more, it would be check out zenlytic.com, uh, Z-E-N-L-Y-T-I-C.com. Um, and yeah, we'd love to answer any questions. If you want to connect with me too, I'm always available on LinkedIn. Shoot me a personal message, I'll always respond. Um, always just want to build a network and, and build communicate um, co connections within the uh, actual community. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Imagine a space where triumphs, trials, and tales of entrepreneurship come alive. Welcome to the 21st Century Entrepreneurship Podcast, a gold awarded journey hosted by Martin Piskorik. 
connecting with listeners in 95 countries and ranking in the top 0.5% of all podcasts. Join our exclusive community, elevate your perspective, and embark on the path to success.